The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. All right. Everybody ready? Here we go. Red eye. Here we go. uh, Jeb, be afraid. Be very afraid. There's now a blog for Skynet. Did you see this? This is... uh, Yeah. Yep. Yep. uh, Air Droid News. Uh Air Droid News. This is like uh, unmanned Uh aerial vehicles blog. It's kind of cool, actually, but... uh, It's... It, it's overdue, I think. Um, um, it, it's got some interesting shots, some interesting material on here. Uh, they've got um, images of, of uh, certain locations in Haiti taken from uh, RPVs, uh, drones. Oh, I hadn't seen um, those. Oh, yeah, look at that. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, there's a quite the uh, quite the contingent going into Haiti these days. Now, I haven't, I haven't, yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, I, I haven't really looked at a lot of this blog, this AirDroid News blog. Is it written from the point of view of someone who loves these UAVs, or are they? they... I think it's, I, I haven't really seen much writing here unless, um, you know, I, I think what we're really talking about here is, is a collection of press releases and, and uh, uh, other coverage. And I think they're more of an aggregator okay. than they are a, uh, a generator of content. Well, boy, the February 2010 column that I'm reading here on AirDroid News reads like anything but a press release. Well, if you click the links... Wait a minute. February 2010. That can't be. It's not February. The first... first, uh, first It's time-stamped 17 January 2010, which was yesterday. Okay, yeah, I see the one you're talking about. Two days ago. Stu Magnuson. Stu, you, uh, you obviously are... Well, it sure seems like you've got a three-prong plug into the community behind this. Yeah. This, this is a, this is a um, link at the bottom of this article is a link to its original post yeah. on a different website, National it, Defense Magazine. It is uh, amazing. And Steve Magnuson wrote it. It's the amazing. Guy listed on yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. But as far as but, pilot side of it. Well, what does it say, David? What, what about this do you like? Unless you, well, what I like about it is the the initial reporting that I'm reading here about the fight between the Air Force and the Army over right. who controls what UAVs at what altitudes and for what missions and how that's being played out. Uh, it's got some video of uh, and photos of of uh, images that I guess come from these UAVs. Unmanned aerial vehicles, by the way, in case anybody's stumbling around. RPVs. Remotely piloted vehicles. These are not aircraft. These are Skynets. Skynet. Yeah. That should make us all very afraid. I just clicked over to this National Defense website. This is... uh, uh, Which is the original source of the the impressive article, but... uh, which is a whole other thing. Anyway, so uh, I, I will, Jack. I will say this though: when I when I when you sent me the link to this, and I clicked on it right before I clicked on it, I figured it had to do with software for my new phone. 
I did too. I know. Yeah, I know. It does sound a little bit like that. Yeah. So. Uh, and, and I was watching the ads during air, the droid ads during uh, uh, NFL playoff games over the weekend. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. It got such a chuckle out of the little text at the bottom. I had to freeze frame it at one point to read it. This What's is it say? droid is copyright Lucas Films and. And I went, wow, right's right, the Star Wars connection. Yeah, okay. Droid was in Star Wars. These These, these are not the droids droids you're looking looking for. That's right. (laughs) So take a look at uh, AirDroid News or AirDroid. It's airdroids.blogspot.com. I know that we've got some listeners out there that are big into RV airplanes and and, and RV aircraft, sailplanes and motorized boats. I think that is great stuff. Uh the military guys, boy, they are definitely fulfilling a mission. But the wings that get put on the jackets, I know, are going to have a different designation than the ones on the guys that get put on pilots who can actually throw up in a moving airplane. Yeah. Um, and it's really a growing field. Who was it just recently announced uh, a number of schools announced programs for training uh, uh, unmanned well, you mean, you mean like the United States Air Force Academy and yeah, West Point? Somebody else and did this Academy? Who was it? Some some private school, some some uh, uh, you know university or something. I think just announced such a program, and uh, it's uh, what's what's the saying going around that the uh, the uh, uh, the last ever fighter pilot it has already been born? You know? Is, yeah, that's the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the last fighter pilot that will actually be in the aircraft. In the aircraft, right, which he's, yeah. With which he or she is fighting. Yeah. Has been born. Uh, fortunately, the last GA pilot who will actually use an airplane the way God, Thor, uh, Olympus, and, and, and the Wright brothers intended has not been born. No, yeah. that'll go on for a while longer. I'm absolutely that'll certain. Jeb occasionally gets pe- gets pessimistic about this, but uh. well, I, you know, it's not so much pessimistic. I, I guess what I what I engage in conversation about uh, about that topic uh, to point out is that it's always been like this. As long as I've been flying, and, and it's been a, it's been a couple of decades. Let's just put it that way. Um, We've always been talking about the end of general aviation. It's, it's going away. It'll never be the same. Da, 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 da. Well, you know, it hasn't happened yet, and it's, I don't see That's it right. happening in the short term. It, it's changed a little bit, but not a hell of a lot. Just, just like you know, the the dinosaurs in uh, in Jurassic Park, they found a way to adapt. Yeah, we will right. find a way to adapt. I'm right. just glad that they didn't go the way of the buggy whip makers. That's right. But, Maker. Say that three times real quickly. Buggy whip makers, buggy whip makers, buggy whip makers. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's the point exactly. Hey, then, so, um, so they say, some people are saying we shouldn't talk so much about videos, and we apologize for talking about videos. We'll try and be as descriptive as we as we can be on the occasion when we talk when we come across a really cool video. And I came across a really cool video the other day that everybody's got to check out. This uh, I call it extreme ultralight and hang glider flying. Um, it's a video of uh, some folks flying um, hang gliders and or, or a particular hang glider and a particular ultralight, uh, sometimes separately and sometimes in formation, and doing some some hairy stuff that I've just never seen. Um, particularly hang uh, ultralights. Uh, this guy was doing some uh, 
doing uh, uh, loops uh, in the in the ultralight and uh, spins, uh, and they had some really interesting shots of uh, of the these aircraft doing spins, which uh, including the ultralight doing what appeared to be a pretty gnarly flat spin for quite a while, lots of rotations. Do you see these hmm. things? I'm, I'm, I'm looking, looking at, at them right now, now man. Uh, yeah, preloaded. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, that's pretty, I, pretty gnarly stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's pretty. Uh, you know, I mean I'm not. I, I don't. I'm not so naive as to think you can't do uh, aerobatics in ultralights because there's a lot of aerobatics. Certainly, there are a lot of aerobatics that aren't as as uh, as uh, you know structurally well, demanding as some people let's, think. Let's go back a little ways. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, middle 1980s. Yeah. Was a guy on the air show circuit that flew a a uh, uh, performance That was the name of the company at the time. Quicksilver MX modified to fly aerobatics. Really? Okay. There was even a guy that did wing walking on top of an, a Quicksilver MX. Oh. Uh, if you can imagine the horrors of wing walking at thirty five knots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the more I look at this video, by the way, the more I am uh, reasonably sure that this is Wallaby Ranch in Florida. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh which is not about uh twenty clicks north of Winter Haven, not too far from uh, Lakeland, uh where they have instructions and cabins you can take you know, you can stay in. They do arrow towing. Uh, the flat spin in this glider is nothing short of amazing. I learned to do loops in a hang glider. But I'm there was sure a guy back a in the spin. 80s that had uh, uh, the the, uh, the aerobatically stressed uh, uh, Quicksilver. Uh, the folks at Max Air in Pennsylvania built a clipped wing drifter, single seat. Uh, wingspan went from 35 feet down to 28. Uh, spars were reinforced. Uh, the airplane was built up, and instead of a 28-horsepower engine like the single-seater usually had, this had a 65-horsepower Rotax. Mm-hmm. I, only have, I only have one question. Yeah. Who, who packed the chute? Yeah. Uh, the chute came packed from the factory. Uh and learn to do snap rolls, barrel low rolls, loops, and uh, uh, only one turn to two turn spins. Well, now there's some some of the, there's some stuff in this video that's way more than it appears, anyways, to be way hey. more than a couple of turns spins. There are some well developed, just continuous spins here. Um, but let's just talk about two of them. That, I want to talk about at least two of them. Um, first of all, there's what I seems to me to be a flat spin in the ultralight. Um, J- Dave, you described it as amazing. Jeb, you said you're not convinced it's a flat spin. Um, right. Jeb, what do you, why do you think it's not as flat? You think it's an optimal? Well, I'm looking at it right now. One thing, the, the camera person is going counterclockwise to the, to the yeah. ultralight's rotation. Secondly, um, neither one of them seem to be descending that rapidly. I, I, well, they're, I they're, don't... They're not. I'm not convinced that the... That the, the uh, uh, the the hang glider is in a stall. I think it's just you know in a in a steep dive. Um, it's not a spin. That's not my understanding of what a spin would be. Well, the uh, the tug in the spin that it's in, I do believe that part of that is a flat spin, and the reason that I believe that is because if as you watch it develop, the uh, the airplane has an almost level attitude. 
uh, in a lot of the spin, and then it goes more nose down to start the recovery. Right. And we usually associate normal, fully developed spins with a, a fair amount of nose down attitude. So I think it does both. Yeah. Uh, the glider. Uh, well, okay. I, I'm looking at. I, I'm looking I, I at do the know green. That they could be made to spin. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the green high wing uh, ultralight, and I, I yeah. see that was a spin. Yeah. Okay. There is a glider. I'm not convinced it stalled. No, and I, I'm not sure either. Uh, I do know that a hang glider will spin. So you think? Oh, I get you, that. you think the vid in the video, the hang glider that looks like it's spinning downward is actually kind of doing a really tight spiral of some sort? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 And, and David, and it may well be right. David, when you the green, the green ultralight's doing number. That looks yeah. like fun. Yeah. So, David, when you learned how to fly ultra or uh, hang gliders, yes, sir. Um, do they do stall and spin training? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at the answer. I'm laughing at, at David's response. What's so funny about that? Go ahead. What? Okay. Let me let me describe the environment uh, that taught me to fly hang gliders. Yeah. <laughs> it was a. Uh, the lower 300 feet of a mountain slope outside Chattanooga, Tennessee, called Raccoon Mountain. Yeah. Uh, you worked your way upslope in knee pads and, 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 and uh, skydiver boots, uh, starting at about 100 feet up. And you ran like a bat out of hell. And the glider would lift off at about 40 feet from the bottom. And you'd fly a foot and a half or two feet for five or six seconds before you came down on the wheels mounted on the base tube. When you could do that without pranging it a couple of times in a row, you moved up the slope. Eventually, you got to this platform about 350 feet up, off of which you ran in the training glider, never getting more than... 50 or 60 feet off the ground? Uh-huh. No, we did not learn to stalk. <laughs> okay. but We learned to not stall. Yeah. We learned to maintain airspeed and then uh, do a little bit of minor roll correction because at those elevations, uh, you really didn't do a turn so much as you did a, a, a slight heading correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until about six weeks into moving up and up and up things like the the back of a dam on a on, on a man-made lake mm-hmm. uh, where I could run off at 500 feet and because of the slope get 75 feet off the ground. Right. Uh, the, the the glide ratio of the gliders and the slope of the hill being what it was, she just never got very high. Mm-hmm. But at 75 to 100 feet off the ground, you could actually start doing things like 30-degree turns without dragging a tip on the ground. Uh, it wasn't until I graduated enough to go off of a 350-foot cliff that has dropped almost straight down for 350 feet. So 50 feet away from launch, you were 300 feet in the air. Mm. 
did we actually learn to turn? One one thing we've never really nailed down in 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 hearing Dave's stories about his early hand gliding days is who he angered to be sentenced to this. I don't know. He, I, well, okay. That, you know, this is 1977. That was the state of the art. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's true. Because hang gliding really didn't come into existence until about four or five years earlier. Uh, when some guys modified the kind of kites they were towing up at uh, uh, you know places like Cypress Gardens, uh, they read about some guys that were building these bamboo and plastic sheeting uh, uh, wings modeled after a regala wing from NASA. And their magazine of this group out in Southern California says it all. Ground Skimmer. Right. That was the name of the magazine. Right. Ground skimmer, soaring, turning, stalls, spins. Yeah, but clearly there are people who fly higher off the ground in hang gliders. They get towed, or they do therm. They you know get thermals or whatever. We, we worked our way up to that, just kind of like the Wright brothers did, except without motors. So then uh, here's. So this is my question: How do you? Recover from a stall or a spin in a hang glider. You know, you so the, the the textbook recovery from a spin in a traditional aircraft is, among other things, kicking the rudder over. All right, but you don't have a rudder. I don't think. Am I am I being really? What do you, about what do you use? What do you use in a hang glider for uh, yaw control? Well, uh, there's actually a couple of answers here. Uh, first off, to okay, get out of a stall. You do the same thing in a hang glider that you do in any other aircraft. Yep. You lower the nose. Right. Okay. Lowering the nose means moving the stick forward, right? The yoke forward? Yep. That's your body. Right. Your body is the stick. Uh, rolling out, you move your body to the side you want to roll toward, uh, just like you move a stick to the side you want to roll toward. Uh, as far as rudder, there is a little bit of a rudder effect in how you place your body, because you can actually pivot your body sideways to the airflow mm-hmm. to a large degree without it, without moving the the without moving your body off center. And is that enough to break a spin? Uh, so far, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is until it isn't. Yeah, that's right. You know. Uh, it nose down, body sideways, and then roll to the outside. Yeah. Well, uh, you will be going like a bat out of hell. Yeah. Well, and you better have room. You know, admittedly, it's not 100% clear that they're spinning the hang gliders and so forth in this video, in these videos, but uh, they're pretty cool videos, and, and uh, we apologize for talking about videos on the podcast, but you got to check these out. It's it's pretty They're neat. really cool to watch. And, and the thing to remember, folks, is that it, the... Uh, the category of these aircraft, there are no regulations covering doing this or the equipment except for the U.S. Hang Gliding Association and the Hang Gliding Manufacturers Association. This is all self-regulated. Uh, the guys that do this and pull it off uh, have, like when I learned to loop a Sensor 510 years ago at Lookout Mountain in, ten, in, in North Georgia, came through incremental experimentation. I'd seen somebody else do it a couple of times and then gave myself huge air with which to try to do it on my own. And when I flopped terribly the first couple of dozen attempts, 
I still had so much air underneath me that there was never a worry about hitting anything. Mm-hmm. Right, right. All I had to do is keep the, the wing sufficiently below, you know, pull it out with sufficiently gentle movement and keeping the G load within range. And pound for pound, hang gliders are really, really strong. And you're doing all this stuff at really what's below the stall speed of what most of us fly. Right. So, so you, you're never going really fast. You're going fast relative to the structure of the wing. Yeah. As long as you remember fast that. Fast enough to get hurt. You can do a lot. Obviously. Obviously. Hey, listen, i got to do something before I completely forget. Uh, welcome, folks, to episode 169 <laughs> of, of Uncontrolled Airspace, uh, the General Aviation Podcast. Uh, we're just having way too much fun talking about it. Yeah, nobody knew. Yeah. Uh, we're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday, January 19th, 2010. I almost said 2009. Uh, 2010. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar are my two good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon is out there talking us from wichita kansas hey david how are you doing tonight oh just doing lovely uh-huh. just a wonderful evening uh we're about seven days into a stretch where it's foggy every night and every morning and uh it made me think well one morning we had hoarfrost that's where fog crystallizes and excuse dies. me Hoarfrost. Yeah. I wasn't going there. I, wasn't, I know. Jack, this is all here. Sorry. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an actual meteorological term spelled Hotel Oscar Alfa Romeo Frost. I know. I know. I've heard of it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, boy, it was just gorgeous. Uh, but it's had to have had an impact on, uh, on on some of the folks that normally fly around here because uh, – Near zero zero. Well, hundred foot visibility and no ceiling has been uh, kind of frequent the last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really cool in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from uh, somewhere somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? Oh, fine as frog fur. Did uh, so? So, is it things warmed up down there? Things are are back to normal. Um, had a nice weekend. Uh, uh, started raining early, and then it cleared up, and it was warm uh, Saturday and Sunday. I'm sorry, Sunday and Monday. Uh, for another hur- and, another and, hurricane-free uh, day in Florida. That's one. That's right. Another. Um, um, just putting one day in front of the next. Um, <laughs> that's all you can do. You know. But, yeah, yeah. The weather. The weather's. You know, it's seriously weathered down here again. Finally. Again, finally, just in time for uh, what Sebring and. Uh, uh, Hopefully, we'll have a good show. Yeah, and then uh, weather-wise, anyway. I remember last year I was up there the day before the show opened, and it was cold. Yeah, I remember you talking about it. It was like it was, more it was than jacket with, chilly. Yeah, it was forty-ish with a breeze, and yeah. it was chilly. Yeah. I Speaking of Sebring, the uh, the best laid plans of mice and men. Um, uh, it, it's turning out that uh, that neither myself and I think uh, David uh, are able to make it to Sebring. We we had really hoped to. But, uh, <sighs> I. Uh, Wish it were not so, but a uh, special project came along, and to accommodate the special project and stay on schedule with the did other you, did projects. Did you lock that down? I'm did not. You lock it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's yet another thing that you're just going to make us insanely jealous about, um, and we'll one day probably get to hear more about that. It, hey, it won't be as long as the last one. Okay. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I am talking to Yay! you tonight from uh, from beautiful Melville, New York, uh, on Long Island. About uh, about an oh, wasn't hour. Wasn't there a writer named Melville? Uh, I get yeah yeah right the whale guy right. Um, 
So you let him in. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, guy. Uh, so, anyways, I'm out here on. Uh, I, you know, and, and here's, here's a little a little weather story. I apologize, everybody. You can fast forward. Uh, I came down here on uh, Monday morning. Uh, I left New Hampshire on Monday morning in Dover, New Hampshire. I'm not exaggerating when I say there was a nor'easter happening. All right, it was snowing Ooh. like crazy. We had gotten ten inches of snow overnight. It was still snowing as I trudged out to my car to head south. Uh, and we, the plan was we were driving. I was driving down to central Massachusetts where I was meeting up some people, and then we were getting in a truck and we we're driving a truck the rest of the way down here to uh, Long Island. Um, as I drove, drove south, and I knew that the weather was not as dramatic, it, it was a little less wintry as you went south, but I expected it to be snowy the whole way, and it was just going to be an ordeal. So it did get better as I drove south. Um, it was still pretty wintry, but it wasn't snowing when I was in Central Mass. We got in the truck, we're driving further. By the time we got to Hartford, Connecticut, the sun was coming out. By the time we got to Bridgeport, Connecticut, where we were actually getting on, a, on an auto ferry to dr- go across the Sound, um, it was like spring. It was beautiful. It was like this mind-boggling thing where, like, we had gone into an alternate universe. Because Wasn't was, there a Glenn Campbell song about that? By the time I got to Bridgeport, yeah. it'll stop snowing. So it's crazy. I'm down here in, in on Long Island where it's just really nice. I mean, it's nearly spring-like weather, at least New England spring-like weather. Um, yet I'm talking to my friends back in back in Dover, New Hampshire, where apparently it hasn't stopped snowing yet and uh it's you know just, you know the folks in long island can afford to import better weather from farther uh, and, south so. and it works it works let me tell you so <laughs> anyways um so i'm in melville new, Melville-ville, new york and then tomorrow i get, get to go into the belly of the beast we're driving our truck down into uh, uh midtown manhattan for another event and, and we'll probably survive that and then i get to go home um, Man. so <laughs> anyways uh when you're when you're traveling in that neck of the woods, do you just drive in, or, or do you catch an airline, or what do you do? It, it varies. It depends on where where we're going, how far <clears throat> we're going. For example, I did when I, last week. I was in Pittsburgh and Erie, Pennsylvania. We flew to Pittsburgh. We drove from Pittsburgh to Erie, and then we flew back from Erie. Um, but here we're relatively close to our, our home base. So, so you had two tickets to Pittsburgh. I think Dave just made a joke, but I just kind of went right over my head. I'm sorry. Jeb, you were saying? Um, I was going to ask you if um, you get frisked by TSA to any any great extent. Yeah, and I know you're looking forward to that. I know you're looking to, uh, to, you know, sort of upgrade your your love life and... Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Oh no! See, yeah, you're you're, you're hitting on a, on a tweet I made. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I gotta beat you to it, here, man. You're gonna... coming up. Scented Vaseline would be yeah, a welcome. Okay, all right, all right. Now we're changing the subject. Back to aviation. Back to aviation. Let's see now. Our good buddy. Oh snap! Oh, that was the sound of a latex glove. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell this badly, and I'm just going to refer everybody to his website, who where he does a much better job of describing it. Our, our good buddy Stephen Force, uh, or Stephen Tupper, aka Stephen Force of the Airspeed uh, Online podcast, or the Airspeed podcast from AirspeedOnline.com, um, has announced an absolutely fascinating project that he's trying to put together um, this spring. He calls it Acro Camp. All right, what he's doing is he's putting together a four-day intensive 
aerobatics training program that he's inviting uh, he's now searching for a handful of people to be involved with it and he is going to video the entire process he's going to be mounting high-def cameras in the aircraft and uh, on the ground and he's going to give cameras to the participants and he's going to shoot all this stuff and he's going to uh, then cut it together into what I think has the potential to be uh, just an astoundingly fascinating documentary about about aviation and about aerobatics and uh, about flying in Michigan and it's just sounds really 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 cool you got to go to uh, I believe it's acrocamp let's see I got the link right here acrocamp.com a c r o c a m p.com um, or you can go to uh, airspeedonline.com uh, uh, and uh, there's there's pointers there and uh, the latest episode of the airspeed podcast talks about this whole project and uh, I just think it's going to be really cool um, quite frankly I want UCAP to go there and cover this whole thing because I think this is going to be a fascinating. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, a does fascinating. Does this, get, does this boy get paid by the word? <laughs> it is a bit of a long, uh, a long uh, uh, intro and, and explanation of the whole thing, but uh, he's got some really amazing ideas here, and uh, I'm just looking forward to see how this comes out. Acro Camp, you got to check it out, and uh, and, you, and there's still a chance you could be one of the pilots. I think he's searching for four. Uh, four or six, I'm not sure which, four, uh, pilots to participate in this program. And uh, he's literally going to kind of do a casting. He's going to find four pilots to kind of, you know, to tell an interesting story, different kinds of backgrounds. Four pilots from different walks of life and around the country gather in Michigan in May or thereabouts to take over a Part 61 flight school for four days and fly aerobatics for the yeah. first time. Yeah. Damn, that's that 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 scotches me from the old yeah. process. That's that's yeah I know yeah. So anyway, it's going to be pretty cool. We'll we'll be talking more about this. Um, I was I've been sort of watching uh, Skype to see whether or not uh, Steve is online tonight, and we could invite him into the hangar, but he's not around. So we'll we'll try and get him into the hangar maybe sometime in the next few weeks and get him to talk about this a little bit. Very very. Cool now this stuff. is this isn't a scholarship, okay? No, you're uh, on your own. It's out of your each individual. It's out of their pockets. Right. Um, but. Uh, uh, it sure sounds like it could be fun, and having learned to do some, uh, having picked up some acro in a collective environment, it, it it gets to be very collective environment when there are three of you learning to do acro in a single seat airplane. So the instructor goes up and shows you. Yeah. It comes down on the ground and sits in the airplane and shows you the stick and rudder moves in real time. And then puts you in the airplane, and you go up to above the floor for the maneuver, and you try it out. And when you screw it up two or three times, you come back down, and he tells you what you were doing wrong. Uh, this will be much more productive because you get to fly with an instructor. Yeah. It's going to be way cool, I think. It's got huge potential. So uh, check that out. Uh, let's see. Now, next, um, here's what I have to say about this. Oops. Uh, there's a pretty urgent, yeah. uh, pretty urgent uh, uh, notice that's gone. Notification. This is almost not funny. Um, uh, this is a pretty urgent notification that's gone out to oh. Bendix King. You guys know more about this than I do, and maybe you should explain <clears throat> it. But basically, the databases are corrupt somehow, <clears throat> some way. And yeah, there's a there's a special notice the FAA put out. I forget what they called it. Um, I think it's a SABE uh, um, uh, uh, safety announcement, uh, information bulletin. I forget what the, the, the correct acronym is. But uh, the most recent update for Bendix King uh, GPS navigators available um, from 
Jefferson through Bendix King uh, is corrupted. They uh, uh, put in or, or neglected to put in, uh, in uh, put in incorrect or neglected to correct original data for the magnetic variation uh, covered by the uh, data in the database. So all of these uh, fixes, especially for uh, terminal work and approaches, um, are no longer any good. Uh, there is a fix. Um, um, if you haven't heard, if you have one of these boxes, <coughs> excuse me, if you have one of these boxes and uh, um, you've just updated your database, double check to make sure you got the good one. Um, uh, you don't want to get the bad one. Now, there was a window of opportunity earlier in January where you easily could have got the bad one. Yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll have a link to the uh, to the uh, bulletin from uh, Honeywell. Uh, and something to keep in mind here is that you know. When you when you're hanging around with your friends in the uh, various superiority theories of one brand over another come into play, it's worth remembering that this was a Jepson mistake, not a Honeywell mistake. That's that's all of that is true, and uh, you know it's not something Jepson normally does. Um, no, it's not. But they did it this time. Yeah, they and, did it this time. There, there, there are issues with databases uh, very, very infrequently with uh, other manufacturers in the past, and they've always been easily correctable. This one, you know, the quick and dirty is you upload the corrected database, and that fixes the problem. But if you're flying any of these units and look at them on our link, uh, you definitely want to be mindful that that last database may be one that you don't want to use. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, every now and then you might just want to turn the damn thing off, too, and just use the VOR. You know, it's really kind of fun to navigate by deduced reckoning. <laughs> yeah, you got a little experience of that lately, yeah, trying to figure out where you are. Although you had that interstate yeah. to follow, yeah, IFR, right? Yeah, we had a G300 in the panel. Yeah, a G300 in there, but, you know, it did not completely eliminate the opportunity to make a mistake. No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, we had the most current database, and we, in the pressure of a weather moment, found a, a nearby airport that suited our needs that looked to be clear of the weather. And it was close enough that we started our deviation and then talked to ATC. We were on VFR flight following. And... We just basically told them, we're having to divert to maintain VFR. This is where we're going. And before we could finish the conversation with them, that new airport came into view. And, wow, wouldn't you know it, there were several very large X's painted on the runway. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Um, for now, anybody who's that, not... That had just happened. That had just happened in the, in the prior 18 hours. Huh. Yeah. Uh, for anybody not up to speed here, Dave, what we're talking about here is Dave's recent uh, adventure uh, flying uh, with along with another pilot, uh, a Cessna Skycatcher, all the way across America from what San Diego to uh, Tampa, Florida. San Diego uh, to Tampa, and 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 an undisclosed location near Sarasota. Yeah, and uh, all <laughs> of which, what you might have read on another website. That other guy didn't do any flying except when I asked him to hold the airplane so I could take a picture. Yeah. Um, all of which was chronicled in the 
current issue of uh, EAA Sport Aviation, and uh, you also talked about it for over a half an hour on the la- recent episode. And I forget a couple episodes ago. That's what the, happens when you ask of the podcast. Yeah, I know it was a great story. <laughs> it, uh, people are loving it. I'm not surprised, but uh, well, and, and I've heard from some folks since then, yeah, uh, who are looking to fly either legacy LSAs or special LSAs, uh, east to west who have contacted me to talk about the route because they're looking for the way through that has incurs the, the, the easiest terrain. Right. Uh, Getting across uh, the Rockies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. some of these folks are coming from way up north on the east coast mm-hmm. in things like air coops. Yeah. But trying to get to Southern California. So yeah. it was like, hey, you know, if, if the skycatcher made it through on that route, your only worry is getting from how far north you are down to the route there. And they, I told one of them, you could join that anywhere, pretty much anywhere uh, east of uh, Austin, Texas. Yeah. Join Who them out Houston and, and maintain the terrain clearance. So. Who was it in the forums? Champ Guy, I think. Champ Guy is planning to fly his champ um, from uh, his home up in Oregon um, all the way down to... Uh, is it Oregon to or Washington to Sun and Fun uh, this, yeah. this spring in a couple oh, cool. months. So uh, that'll be quite an adventure right there. Anyway, oh, yeah. so. Uh, uh, that reminds next? me, yeah. while I'm thinking about it, um, I, let me just right now go on record and having and, and committing to uh, the second uh, um, chapter in the continuing saga of the Great Southeast UCAP Meetup. Oh, number yeah. Two. I was Sometime talking to Dave now, Allen about this just maybe today, uh-huh. I think, even. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, was t- I talked to Dave today earlier also, but not about this. But um, I will right now commit to doing that. We will do it uh, sometime probably the weekend before Sun and Fun, mm-hmm. which is the weekend we did it last year. Uh, we will either do it again at um, at Venice or um, maybe some other airport in, in, in uh, southwest Florida. Um I might be able to do it here at home. I'm not sure. Kind now, of when you say the weekend before Sun and Fun starts, Sun and Fun officially starts on a Tuesday. Are you uh-huh. talking about that weekend immediately preceding? That's or the weekend before I mean that? By, no, that, the weekend before Sun and Fun. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. This, I think that's the way you did it last year. It was the Saturday immediately yeah. pre- prior to... It was the Saturday or Sunday immediately prior to, uh, to Sun and Fun. And that's I may, I may already be down there. You know what? It's funny. I may already well, be down in, there too, in which uh, case we'll do it the preceding weekend. Suck my nose till my head caves in. So okay, this is a weird story right here. This I've is a never weird heard that before. Yeah, this is a weird story. This is from uh, oh, we've quoted this uh, this uh, website before. TBO dot com, the Tampa Bay online. Um, <laughs> I don't think we talked about this story yet. A uh, French pilot took off from Brooksville despite instructor's advice. A small plane forced down by military jets 
after it took off from a Brooksville airport on Wednesday afternoon was not stolen and the pilot, a French citizen, broke no laws, authorities said. The owner and pilot of the Cessna 425, identified as Jean-Claude Courtois, was licensed to operate the aircraft, the uh, uh, sheriff's department said. Um, A certified instructor with the pilot suggested that he should contact another instructor to improve certain flying skills. The instructor also noted that Courtois shouldn't fly the plane because he didn't speak English and couldn't communicate with anyone on the ground or in the air. The story goes on to say that basically that um, that that because this guy couldn't talk on the radio, the CFI dropped a dime on him and uh, called in the authorities, and he was uh, forced down. This just doesn't. Something's wrong with this story. Something something's, something's wrong with this yeah. story too, because. Um, <sighs> I can get in an airplane pretty much anywhere and fly legally and safely without a radio. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, and there's no indication in this story that this pilot um, exited or entered airspace requiring two-way communication. That's my question. Um, yeah. Uh, that, and, that there's nothing in the story that, that says that. Um, so, therefore, it kind of leads me to conclude that he, he didn't do any of that, and he, what he did was, in fact, completely legal. The story says he didn't break any laws. Um, I'm trying to figure out why it's even a story. You know, pilot, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a dog bite, bites man story if, uh, for all intent and purpose, except for, you know, it's family the two F-15s. But... Um, yeah, this um, is you know what this is. It just it occurs to me now. This is this is nine eleven panic. This is this is part uh, of it. Yeah, foreign guy part flying an airplane sure. that we don't know what he's doing. So he uh-huh. must be a terrorist. Uh-huh. Gosh. Anyways, um, yeah, how, yeah, that was my yeah. my take on it exactly. Was that this? There, is, there, there, they're there's basically a couple saying guys. Nordo is it's it's against, it's against the law to be Nordo if you're a foreigner. There, there's a couple of guys in a cave somewhere on the Afghan Pakistan border. Laughing their asses off. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, when on that, we start, when we start to cave in on our civil liberties and our sense of balance, the bad guys are winning. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this very, very serious, sad, tragic story that's going on um, in Haiti, um, and and it's just it's it's a huge story, and there's not a lot we can add to most of it. But I want to talk about one part of it, and that's the aviation part of it. Um, there are a lot of stories floating around, at least in the first few days, there were stories floating around about how uh, they were having a hard time getting aircraft into Haiti. The airport was overwhelmed or something like that. And so the first thing I'm curious about is, do you guys have any more information about what the nature of those problems were? What was going on? I mean, just, just from an aviation standpoint, it's interesting to wonder what were the problems. Do you know anything about that? Followed about, some of uh, it. Um, about the the Haitian International Airport? Yeah, just yes, right. They couldn't. They were having a hard time. I heard one story. You know, they were apparently it's not a very big airport. It's like it's like you know Port-au-Prince sure. International Airport, single basically. runway, and it's got one runway and a little ramp. Um, and suddenly it's, it's got a ten thousand foot runway. It normally sees two to four flights a day. Most of those international. Right. Uh, one of, one of the features. A, yeah, Jeb. It doesn't have a parallel. Doesn't have a parallel taxiway. Right. Taxi back operations. So you've got an airplane that really, you know, Atlanta O'Hare prove every day that they can get them uh, on the runway and turn in a minute or less, or slightly less. 
Um, so you've got an airplane that, you know, technically could be off the runway in a minute, probably taking eight or ten minutes yeah. on the yeah. runway to, what, to what, get slowed what's... down, turn around, and taxi back at a, at a safe speed, and then clear the runway. It, it's it's a hideous uh, uh, um, abuse of, of one runway. Uh, and where we're all going with this, well, uh, let me let me back up and kind of answer your question. First of all, you know, you probably don't have power except maybe a generator to run the radar, run communications, run telephones, and, th- and things like that. Uh, that's like you know the first few days, but um, you might not have electricity in the in the terminal to to run um, uh, to, to help with keeping some of the equipment running, uh, tows, uh, baggage handling, trucks, all of this you know stuff. Probably there's rubble and, and debris. Uh, I, I saw stills of the port uh, uh, there in uh, Port-au-Prince, and uh, there's cranes that have fallen off into the water, into the harbor, and there's a couple of uh, Coast Guard vessels. The Coast Guard took these photos. A couple of Coast Guard vessels are not getting anywhere close to the to the the harborage, the piers, because they don't know what's in the water. Yeah. yeah. Well, it. On the airport side, the initial problem was uh, transfer logistics. They could get airplanes. They got airplanes in early. They got them unloaded. They had a terrible time getting the loads off the airplanes and off the off the pad and somewhere because of all the things that Jeb just talked about. Right. Uh, in the last forty-eight hours. Uh, there's been a tremendous improvement in the uh, logistical support necessary to move aircraft in. There's a, 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 a U.S. temporary tower operating there now. Uh, the runway's open 24 hours now. Uh, they have a little better infrastructure. They're managing traffic inbound from the international destinations uh, out to a farther distance. So that's working out better. Uh and there's more support coming in for both unloading the aircraft of the relief supplies they're bringing but, and, and getting those supplies off the ramp and, in, and, and on their way to places that can help. That's primarily a factor of how they're getting helicopters into the country because so much of the roads are impassable. Mm-hmm. Outside Port-au-Prince, though, there's a tremendous amount of GA operation going on uh, dropping off supplies in remote areas and evacuating people that are foreign nationals in particular. And they're using whatever level clear space that they have, right. which is roads primarily, uh, caravans and uh, turboprop twins. Right, right. Well, and, Stuff and you that, know, like King Airs that can get in and out of uh, unimproved fields fairly comfortably. Uh, there's uh, AIN had a piece out today. One of their reporters rode in a uh, Gulfstream 450 that took a load of re- relief supplies in. Uh, GA is contributing in a huge way here uh, and getting to parts of Haiti that uh, uh, the large aircraft can't get to from all over the all over the Western Hemisphere, as well as parts of Europe. 
Yeah. Uh, GA aircraft coming in from the Bahamas. There are GA aircraft coming in from Canada. There are GA aircraft coming in from Mexico, Central and South America. Uh, you know, their their individual payloads may not be huge, but their volume adds up to a lot. Getting supplies very quickly into areas that roads don't support right now. So, right, right. and and what you've what you've gotten into here is the other point I wanted to make, which is that uh, uh, n- not to minimize or, or or you know set aside the tragedy and the and and all that other stuff. This is a case study for the value of having you know a network of large and small airports and having a robust general aviation you know. Uh, uh, sure. You know, community and population. All right, um, and uh, anybody who thinks that you don't, you know, only need one airport in a particular area is this. Just got to look at these kind of these kind of situations and realize that, you know, sometimes that one airport's not not sufficient or or becomes unavailable. You know, and, or unsuitable. Uh, yeah, and so you got to have a, a rich, you know, uh, uh, ecosystem, if you will, of uh, of general aviation resources um, because. Well, it's- we don't yeah. just have an interstate highway system in this country. We've got an we've got a highway system that's you know includes interstates and US highways and state highways and county roads and local roads. And thankfully they all tie together in a network that lets goods and services and people reach every little corner of America uh but there are so many instances during which roads are not the answer, and the local community airport is the connection to the rest of the world. And you know, it's funny how much less expensive a three thousand or a four thousand foot runway is compared to the miles and miles of surface roads it may take to connect a community to a highway system. It's just staggeringly more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in addition to helping out the Haitians in whatever way you are able and feel is appropriate, um, you know, take note of the fact that 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 GA is important here. GA saves lives. All right. Um, and uh, you know, don't let anybody tell you differently. Off-field landing of the week. This is a little different off-field landing of the week, um, but I think it's a really interesting and, and yet another disturbing story about aviation. Um, so let's see. This is a story from, oops, wrong page here. Let's see. This is from the thestartribune.com, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. Plane lands in hot water on frozen Lake Calhoun. <laughs> All right. Um, two pilots landed a small... Uh, Two pilots landed small airplanes on frozen Lake Calhoun in Minneapolis and left the aircraft there as they walked away for lunch Monday afternoon. Then they were ticketed and had to wait a few hours before federal basically the cops saw their airplanes part they 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 landed their ski planes on the frozen lake they you know kind of set them there and they walked off the lake to a restaurant to get a hundred dollar hamburger which turned out to be even more than a hundred in this particular case um when they got back to their airplanes they their airplanes they discovered that the cops had come out there and basically uh, uh you know given them tickets and said you can't fly out of here and it turns out that there's some sort of law about about land what do you know about this this is bizarre all right i can't is this can you do this can jeb can, Jim, what? Jim. Huh? Can, can, I thought it was okay to land save, your save, airplane. Save, save me from another rant, will you? Yeah, well, yeah. Here, here's here. The problem, as I understand it, 
subsequent to this article. Um, there are two different parts of the Wisconsin State Code that talk about, A, frozen lakes, and B, uh, park territory, park uh, land, and how, to, how, to, how, how not to use it. Um, the language is pretty ambiguous when it comes to um, a frozen lake with a properly equipped airplane. And it's highly possible that uh, these guys um, did something that was completely legal, um, not unlike our, our French pilot uh, uh, we just talked about a few moments ago. Um, but it, it was just so inappropriate, or I won't say inappropriate, it, it was so inappropriate in the minds of those with guns and badges, let's put it that way, that um, it made the news. Um, it's, it's unclear to me how this is going to get sorted out, but uh, according to some information I've seen anyway, uh, there's two, two competing state laws. Uh, one is ambiguous, and the other one clearly allows the practice these two pilots engaged in, landing on a frozen lake. So, I don't know, I want, I, I, you know, Nothing happened. Nothing's going to happen with with stuff like this for the most part. It won't happen, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, accelerating through a yellow light uh, in your car. But um, uh, it appears that uh, cooler heads might prevail in this episode also. Yeah, I was going to say a smart prosecutor sees this paperwork and files to dismiss because there's so much wrong with this on so many levels. Unless, of course... You feel like that the world is at huge, imminent, and terminal risk at the flight of a couple of 65-horsepower airplanes. Fear me. I fly a Cessna 150. What Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's you right. know, we, we, are losing, we are losing our way. That was, the, that was that smoke town Cessna, by the way. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yes, it was. Wait, what yes, was? it was. The first Wait, one was. Wait, the, first one, the first one. The first one. The first episode of of an airplane. Um, I, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Scattered, scattered the the Capitol and, and the House and Senate office buildings, and, and people were yelling, "Run for your lives!" The, yeah. the it's, okay. it's going to hit in you know thirty seconds or something. And it was a Cessna one hundred and fifty. I know, I know. And it yeah. was the first. It was the first Smoketown infiltration, not the second one. I, 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 someone okay. someone made up T-shirts. I fly a Cessna 150. Fear me. Fear yeah. me. Yeah. I just, I, I, the uh, incomparable, interminable lack of any kind of common sense in some of this stuff is just stunning. It it really, at times, makes me wonder how the Homo sapiens species rose to planet supremacy when you see stuff this freaking dumb but well, hey yeah um, we can we can sort out the atom we can invent the micro circuit that we're scared to death of 1100 pound airplanes going 65 miles an hour yeah. Um, I will call people's attention to a really sweet, nice, uh, heartwarming story uh, in uh, the blog Aviator Dan's World of Flying. Uh, it's at uh, it's it's av and then the number eight r dan dot com. 
Um, this is a, a guest blogger uh, wrote this piece. Uh, Shelley Delane is the guest, uh, and uh, she writes a, a really cool piece here, sort of telling the story about how she was introduced to general aviation and how she, over a period of time, um, uh, spent more time flying um, with uh, a guy who apparently turned eventually turned into her husband, and uh, and then her eventually becoming a pilot as well. My favorite, the, sort of the money quote, if you will, uh, here for me was uh, her line where she sums it up by saying. Uh, flight is attainable, even for an ordinary girl like me, she writes. The freedom and adventure and beauty and unbridled possibility of it all seemed absolutely magical. It still does every single time we fly. This is a great story. Did you guys see It's it? a great story. Great story. Great story. Uh, and uh, the pilot, Dan, Dean, I'm sorry, the pilot, Dean, has very good taste because she's cute. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not that that matters, but yeah. Okay. Uh, what else is going on here? Um, uh, Loran, did something really change here? Uh, she's about- so much cuter than Dean is. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, you're a little biased. You're a little biased. Um, Not that little. We talked uh, uh, quite some time ago, maybe more than once over the years, about uh, whether Loran was going to stick around. Um, and. Uh, uh, is something changing here? There's uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if, if, if you if you have an air if you're flying an airplane, uh, the 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 long the the um, uh, long range navigation system for which is based on Loran C, it that box just became a doorstop. Yeah, uh, I mean it's that coast, serious. I thought it, it was destined to be a doorstop anyway. Yeah, but this yeah. is about but, five or but, six years <laughs> premature. Yeah, it, it's it, it was going to be a doorstop eventually, but um, Coast Guard published a no- public notice on January 7, 2010, um, stating its intention, confirming its intention uh, to terminate the signal, the Lorancy signal, effective February 8. Yeah. So right now we've got about you know three, little over three weeks more of Lorancy signal. After that, uh, it's kaput. Interestingly, uh, interestingly, yeah. A, they're not putting money into taking out the network, which is the only not stupid part of this decision. Uh, <laughs> yeah, step away from the microphone. Uh, second, the rest of the world that has Loran C now is doing what the DHS and the FAA had already decided was a future approach in developing what's called ELORAN, which has an accuracy level approaching that of GPS, can right. be a suitable substitute for GPS in the ADSB environment, which is where our air traffic system is going, not coincidentally. Uh, and leaving the hardware infrastructure in place does give them a foundation a foundation to put Eloran in and the avionics makers say can put a ship in a GPS box that will let it switch automatically to Eloran should the GPS signal suddenly become unavailable or unreliable. I, I had a box like that in my airplane when I bought it more than ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They they were around before. Yeah. Uh the uh, the nice thing about this is that there seems to be a little bit hope of hope for the future because Europe 
and parts of Asia are, con- are going ahead with Eloran. And the avionics makers would love nothing more than being able to make a box that's suitable for both markets. But hopefully somewhere downstream, the powers that be will come to their free consensus and realize that there's a very, 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 very cheap way to make sure that we have an unjammable, is that the word, unjammable alternative to GPS. <laughs> Jackie's doing it again. I know. Area. David, come back. You wandered away. Which can, in a small area, be jammed by a $200 handheld box. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, put, put it, you know, putting aside the strategic implications, and I don't disagree that there are, are, are many, um, we're talking $36 million. Okay. That's how, this was, that's how this was accomplished. Yeah. Um, the, um, the House, when they developed uh, their version of the DHS appropriations bill, um, it had a strong statement saying um, we want uh, to keep this $36 million in funding for Lorraine. Yeah. Somewhere along the line from there, um, probably over in the Senate side, uh, the money got yanked. We're talking $36 million, okay? That doesn't buy a, fraction a C-17. Of a percent. Okay. A fraction that of does percent. Right. It's, 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 it's a pimple on the butt of progress, as I as sometimes have said. Um, <laughs> it could become a boil on the ass of progress right. if we wind up needing some alternative to GPS because something happened to a satellite, something happened to several satellites because a network of people with $200 freaking jammers neutralized GPS. But and, if we're talking, if we're talking in, is not jammable. In the scheme of things, though, uh, well, I don't know that it's not jammable, or uh, um, it, it's it's. I don't know the technology that well. I suspect anything is jammable, but uh, the the money involved is is a pittance. Now that's that's real money to you and I, uh, but to the federal government, that's no money at all. That's you know someone wasted that this week in Iraq. Um, it, it's no money at all, and and to just cut the thing off like this, um, when it's is short-sighted. There are people still using it. I guess I'm working, is the on, I'm working on a blog. Oh. I'm working on a blog post at for up UCAP that summarizes about a half a dozen examples of uh, of, of uh, species myopia. This is one of them. Myopia. Yeah. So, anyways. Uh, um, anyway. Um, Punchline in all that is, if you got a Loran box, uh, it is now a paperweight, doorstop, or, or boat anchor if you have a small boat. Um, now would be a good time to find a museum that's looking for donations of our and, and, technology. And when, I, when I say people are still using uh, Loran, I'm serious. Oh, yeah, um, you're serious. I know you're serious. I, I was doing it's some research. True. I was doing some research a few weeks ago for a piece I'm, 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 I was working on. Um, and just having to check out the status of the North Star uh, line of uh, Lorraine and GPS navigators. Um, in point of fact, North, the, the company that owns the North Star brand now um, terminated support for the North Star M3 GPS box about six months ago. Um, it was only earlier this month that they terminated service for the North Star M1 Loran box. Um, and 
up until earlier this month, you could still get current database cards for the wow. North Star M1. Wow. Um, there are people out there still using it. Right now, they still have a legal database well, in their Loran. And in three weeks, the plug's going to be pulled on the signal. What's wrong think, with this picture? There were legal IFR Loran oh, yeah. systems installation. If you had a current database, you had a legal IFR box in some of these Loran models, particularly the Tomorrow and the uh, North Star. There was one other company that went to the trouble. People were shooting, uh, especially helicopter operators in the Gulf, were shooting Loran approaches back in the mid-'80s. Yep. Yeah. Now they've got ADSB. It went live in December. It be- was declared operational about a week ago. Yeah, but uh, that, that yeah, but ADSB is 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 no one's pulling the plug on it right now. Yeah. Well, Anyways, over thirty six over a measly thirty six million dollars. That's only if the satellites go down. Yeah. Well, Jeb, write a check and just keep it going, right? No. Can I write it on your account? My first, my first big lottery win, I'll donate to that fund. There you go. There you go. Uh, one more thing before we do shout-outs. Um, let's call this the rumor of the week. How's that? Okay? Because this is a fascinating rumor. Uh, do, 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 does Jeb have a quote of the week? Oh, you know, he didn't put one on quote the list. Us? Jeb, do you have a quote of the week? A quote of the week. Not yet. Okay. Well, then we'll hold it for next week. We'll have a quote of the every other week, which is basically yeah, uh, the way it's working out. But uh, uh, he's working on it. We'll do. We'll do two quotes of the month or something. Uh, okay. Uh, rumor of the week. Rumor of the week is uh, from uh, Avweb, uh, where they uh, write uh, Piper. Question. This is a question, not a statement. Um, Piper to acquire its own LSA. All right, and they write about. Uh, it says conflicting reports were flying on Wednesday about an alleged multi-million-dollar deal between Piper Aircraft and Czech Sport Aircraft, which builds the Sport Cruiser LSA. Um, and I'll paraphrase now that to basically buy the aircraft, buy the line to, to, to turn it into a Piper LSA. This is interesting. Uh, you guys know anything more about this than is in this story? I don't know anything more about it than is in this story. David, I would I'll, say that there's I'm, some great synergy and symmetry between the, uh, uh, between the uh, Sport Cruiser and the Cherokee line. Mm-hmm. What do you that know about the Sport Cruiser? Sport Cruiser oh, is good, a good airplane? It's a great Low wing, bubble canopy, tricycle gear. Uh, it's got a really good rep in the business. Uh, it's one of the stronger sellers out there. Uh, it, uh, you know, uses a, uh, well, the tips are so much more sexy that it's hard to call it a Hershey bar wing. But it's a constant cord platform. Uh, very, very well built it, it it's based off a design that was sold in Europe uh, for quite a while before the LSA category came along here in the states it would be a good fit and it would be a smart move for Piper to be able to offer a trainer through its dealer network to com- something that would compete however effectively that might be is in question but something that would compete with the skycatcher Mm-hmm. Which has a pretty considerable built-in market because of the size of Cessna's right. dealer and pilot and flight school network. So, so, so does it make sense to, to either of you, both of you, that Piper would want in on this marketplace? Does this uh, sure, absolutely, absolutely. 
and historically, is this is this the way they would approach it, or would they want to build their own airplane? Or I mean, this is very different than the well, way Piper's doing. Well, historically, it. they would you know historically being thirty years ago, they would build their own, but that's not the world we live in anymore. And 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 to be as balanced as we can be here. In reality, Cessna's not building their own either. Yeah, that's that's a good point. They well, their design, it. it's, it's it's a domestic design, right? But it's foreign production. Well, mm-hmm. design is what I meant, but yeah, okay. Um, okay, it's a domestic design, but it's foreign production, and I don't see anything now. I've not flown the Sport Cruiser. Uh, I hope to someday, uh, but based on flying a couple of other similar designs, you know, it's going to behave like a little, small, light, low-wing-loading, 1,300-pound airplane. Uh, you know, physics don't change much based on nationality. They are what they are. Right. Aerodynamics right. are what they are based yeah. on the laws of aerodynamics and not the sourcing of the airframes. So yeah. uh, this is a smart move on their part because it gets them into the business at the same kind of low cost point that Cessna's enjoying by outsourcing production of the Skycatcher to China. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got China on one and the Czech Republic, and this company has a lot of experience in building small airplanes. So could yeah. be a good fit. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing about this. more about this. I, I, I yeah. wonder oh, whether or not. I wonder whether or not this story uh, leaked out um, at this time because they're going to make an announcement at uh, Sebring, which is like just in a couple of days, or whether maybe they're just going to wait and talk about it at Sun and Fun. That would be cool. That would be a big story. So. Well, if I, was, if, if I was Piper and this deal was done, the financial and business aspects were pinned down, uh, Sebring is the place where I'd want to make that announcement and make that move. So that when you come to Sun and Fun in April, you already have people knowing to look for you at the Piper booth. You already have your marketing horsepower lined up behind it. You already have your machinery working in mesh with it. And get as far ahead of that curve as possible so that Sun and Fun's not the launch point. Uh, it's the, uh, the point where you change from stage one to stage two. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, definitely be paying attention to this. We'll see what comes of it. Oh, shout out! Yeah, shout outs. So, uh, shout what do you got? Anybody got any shout outs? I've got one, maybe two, but uh, go. Well, um, mine's real quick and dirty. Uh, go ahead, Dave. The uh, it's it's a video again. So my, <laughs> you know, I'll well, leave, leave one leave one for me, will you? I'm going right. to plug this. I'm just going to plug this and leave it at that. But it's called Gray Eagles. Yeah. Uh, it's a uh, really marvelous piece of video about uh, a World War II double ace and some of his peers who flew P-51 Mustangs and the reunion of that double ace with the actual airplane uh, all these years later. Uh, Gray Eagles is what it's called. It's about Mustang Warriors. You'll find the link with the episode, and that's it for me. Right. Um, I wanted to uh, call attention to a, uh, a blog that I found, which is kind of cool. It's called Runway 18, uh, subtitled My Journey as a Student Pilot. Um, in some ways, it's yet another blog about somebody learning how to fly, But uh, um, and, and I guess in one sense you can't get too many of those. 
but uh, this one is 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 kind of outstanding. Um, there's a lot of really interesting information here. Um, uh, this is uh, uh, reading from the blog, uh, the about page. He says, "My name is Brian, and I am a student pilot in the Maryland slash DC area. This blog is dedicated to documenting my personal experiences as I navigate earning my private pilot's certificate." And uh, it's uh, he flies out of something called Freeway Airport. Jeb, you know Freeway Airport? I know Freeway very well. Yeah. Um, is is a, an, a a totally charming picture of of the, from short isn't it though isn't yeah, it though sh- short final um uh, into runway one eight and uh, I just like I want to go to that airport that just looks like a really well, isn't that in the Washington special flight rules area it's not in the surf well it's in the surf excuse me it's in the surf but it's not in the freeze so it's not quite um, right shut down the freeze yeah, right. being the flight restricted zone that is really, really contains DCA and, and the, what I call a DC3 airport other people have taken to a more politically correct and called them Maryland 3 which doesn't have the same panache but uh, uh, yeah you're looking south um, you're also looking at uh, like a six you're basically standing in the middle of a six lane highway <laughs> where that picture is taken uh, above um that's uh, where the where the website's logo is. There uh, are is a set of wires with you know red balloons on them, kind of thing. Oh, it's okay. it's tight getting into one eight. It's not so it's not nearly so tight getting into three six. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, I, I more me- most memorable approach into that airport. I I never did land. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, okay, but I was able well, to use, I, I was able to use the airplane again later on, so it all kind of came out. <laughs> there you go. That's really all. It really all is required. Uh, and he'll make you the right. pilot that you are today. Yeah. Well, so uh, runway one eight. It's uh, runway one eight. Uh, it's really net. really charming. The guy does a uh, nice job. Looks, looks real done. Well, excuse me. Looks well done. And uh, dude, if you're on the um, um, if, a, if you're listening to this, b uh, if you're on the DC pilots list, uh, you know, hold your hand up. Yeah, very cool. Jeb, shout out. Shout out. I'm going to take the other one, and I, I'll, I'll thank David uh, later, or I guess maybe Jack. Actually, um, can I steal this one from you? Go for it. Go sure. Up for grabs. Up for Absolutely. grabs. All right. Um, a trailer for the uh, Red Baron movie. Very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is really cool. It's it's a commercial uh, release apparently coming out uh, real soon now, as they say. Yeah. Um, but um, <clears throat> it looks pretty good too. It's um, uh, probably going to be have a little bit more um, action in it. Supposedly, it's billed as having more action in it than uh, uh, Flyboys. More more air to air action in it. Um, but from what I've seen, a lot of that is CGI anyway. Um, there, there are some some real shots of uh, both a red triplane and I don't know maybe a red uh, Fokker D seven. Um, but um, I've um, got a friend here. There's a lot of CGI in it too. Whether there's going to be more uh, you know, you know, aerial combat, I don't know. Uh, there, there seems to be a, a similar amount of uh, uh, romantic interludes interspersed between these scenes. So you never know how how it's all going to turn out. Um, you know, it's up to you. You're gonna, if you're going to go see this movie for the for the romantic story, more power to you. If you're going to go see it for the the flying, uh, that's good too. Yeah. David, yeah, you got something uh, to say? Uh, I've just uh, I've got a friend here in uh, Wichita area, Dick Curtis, who flies a replica Fokker triplane. 
Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very uh, accurate in detail, except for the engine. The engine is the one area where it is not, but probably a good choice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, but uh, I had, I got so much pleasure out of watching Flyboys uh, that seeing something like the Red Baron, uh, you know, I'm going to be a sucker. I'm going to fall right into it as soon as it's available. So I'll be looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, anyways, as they say, time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, thank you for visiting, guys. It's always fun to talk with you. Jeb Burnside uh, is uh, an aviation journalist and currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, tell people where we can find you on the Internet. Uh, I don't want them to find me on the Internet, man. Okay, enough said. All right, that's fair. Well, but, if, you know, if they have to. But your um, boss might like a little plug here, huh? His, yeah, you know, every now and then um, um, it's, it's probably appropriate. So I'll just, you know, give my standard spiel, which is personal websites at uh, jeburnside.com. Uh, day job is uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Um, avweb.com and uh, uh, aviationconsumer.com are a couple of other places I might pop up. Yeah. Yeah. And Dave Higdon is uh, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, DaveHigdon.biz is the photography site. Uh, Avbuyer.com, AviationConsumer, uh, AEA.net. Uh, I'm even in EAA these days. So yeah. yeah, I finally got my hard copy of that. It's a great magazine. It's a great issue. Yeah. It's a great story yeah. you wrote there, David. So uh, we want. Well, thank more. you very much. More. It was a lot of fun, and the uh, reaction, the reaction has been uh, really, really very gratifying. So yeah, yep. Uh, and it was fun enough. I'd do it. I'd even do something like it again. Going westbound. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <huh? laughs> Why we never would have guessed that. Well, you know that's 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 something to think about because. Eastbound, we had the prevailing winds working for us. Uh huh. Westbound, you can add at least a day just because of the difference in winds. Uh, okay. Yeah. Jeb can well, testify. There you go. There you go. There's more LSAs left to fly. Absolutely. And, I, That's right. and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our excellent show notes. Thanks to uh, Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that uh, you hear at the beginning of every episode. Thank you also uh, to uh, the uh, two listeners who submitted... uh, This is a new thing we're trying. Uh, It it first appeared in uh, last week's episode uh, where uh, we uh, received, we invited through the forums, invited listeners to uh, produce their own uh, shout-outs here. Um, and uh, send them into us, and we put a couple into last week's episode, and we appreciate those. So uh, more, more, more. We want to hear from more listeners in, in that format. Absolutely. So thanks to them as well. Uh, we are, of course, very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. 
And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the uh, wiki. aviation movies list, the new wiki. ratings. Wait, David. I really wish he'd stop that. <laughs> the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, David, what, what else were you going to say, David? Live longer through aviation because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Absolutely. TTFN. <laughs>